Coming up on Stonation. I have the full rip kit on mine. If they drive the beast through the same course, and then they drive mine through the same course, are they going to tell a difference, do you think? Um, they probably would notice a, a, a slight difference. But if you're in an isolated situation, side by side, they'd have to see it side by side comparison. Um, you would see a, a difference. Most people that come in with the beast um, will do like an upgrade for them. Like, you know, they'll be like, what more can I do? Well, on the front suspension, we can add the auxiliary shock in there. Mm -hmm. And they do notice an improvement. Um, Before we begin this episode, first, a word from our sponsors. Without these sponsors, Stonation wouldn't be able to give you the content that you love. So thank you for listening to them, and thank you for supporting Stonation. Storyteller Nation members, you're invited to see the new Storyteller Overland Adventure Vans at two major January RV shows. Classic, Stealth, Beast, and Mode LT will be on display at the Tampa Super Show, January 20th through 23rd, 2022. Or visit the Storyteller Overland Display at the Alameda County Fairgrounds RV Show, January 23rd through 30th, 2022. Factory personnel will be ready to answer your questions while letting you experience the uniqueness of Storyteller Camper Van. Mark your calendars, come see Storyteller, and visit with La Mesa RV at these major January RV shows. Hey everybody, it's John from OWL, and hopefully, if you have a storyteller, you're familiar with our website and the gear we make. But what you may not know is that we have installation facilities going in all over the country. Our first three are Northern California, where we're based, out of Marin. We also have an OWL off-road in Southern California, in Anaheim. And we are just about to open a brand new facility just outside of Denver. Plan is to have a really cool adventure center here. I'm not going to go into the details yet because we don't have everything inked in final. Uh, but rest assured, we will have a Denver location and installation facility opening up. We're looking at sometime in October, but you're able to reach out to us for more specific details. But if you're in the Denver area, Southern California or Northern California, you can always get your OWL gear installed at OWL Off-Road. Again, this is John with Al, and if you have any other questions, reach out. Today's tech tip is brought to you by Volta Power Systems. The new touchscreen system display makes controlling your inverter a snap. Your inverter control settings are just a touch away on your main system display, including managing your charge of rate. Let's say your rate is set to 15 amps. Typically, a home adapter can safely provide 10 to 15 amps, meaning you can safely take in up to 15 amps of power from your home's outlet without blowing a breaker. But if you're using the same outlet to power, for example, a lamp, that outlet doesn't have a full 15 amps to provide to your Volta system. Setting your charge rate to 10 amps instead will allow you to charge your system while using the outlet to power other things. At some campgrounds, you can set your charge rate faster by connecting to a 30 amp RV plug-in and dialing up your charge rate on the touchscreen to 30. By safely setting your system to a higher amperage, your system can safely pull more power in, charging faster. Thanks for listening to Volta's Tech Tip of the Week. Hi, we are Van Parts Warehouse by Freedom Van Gogh. Tired of searching multiple websites trying to find all the products you want? Visit Van Parts Warehouse, your one-stop shop for all things van life located in Jacksonville, Florida. Shop interior, exterior, and electrical upgrades and accessories suited for your Sprinter, Transit, Storyteller, Revel, or Promaster. All products presented to you have been field tested and installed by us so we can vouch for the quality, functionality, and style of each van part. 
Shop the van life community all in one spot. From suspension upgrades from Van Compass to exterior lighting options from Lightforce and Diode Dynamics, window covers to our maiden house electrical systems. We stock the best products the community has to offer. As we test and use new products, our inventory is ever-changing and expanding with upgrades we love and want to help make easily accessible to our customers. So make sure to check us out for new products you didn't even know you needed. Make the van life easier and visit Van Parts Warehouse for all the best products all in one location. This is Kale from Kermavans coming to you from Eagle, Colorado, right next to the Vail Airport. We are off I-70, and we are a company that designs and develops parts for sprinters. Our main focus is tuning and high-altitude tuning. We also combine it with turbo upgrades, boost hose upgrades, and we have one of the biggest brake kits on the market. We also work with other companies for installs. We do Alvans installs. We also do Van Compass installs, mainly suspensions, but we also do their other parts as well. And we do CA2 bumpers, and we also do Backwoods bumpers. Uh, we pretty much can install anything exterior-wise, but uh, those are our main focus. So yeah, come on over to Kermavans so we can keep your van on the road and working well. Before I introduce today's guest, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share, and leave a five-star review. And if you find this podcast useful in any way and want to pay us the ultimate compliment, head on over to our Patreon page where you can subscribe to be a classic, stealth, or beast mode subscriber. Welcome back to another episode of Stow Nation. This episode is the second and last part of a mini-series about suspension. If you didn't check out last week's episode with Van Compass, you should because it's jam-packed full of technical information that will help inform you to make the best decision when it comes to buying your suspension kit. I'd like to state that I really don't think you can go wrong with either Van Compass or Agile's Rip Kit. Both are fantastic suspensions that have great engineering behind them and both are massive improvement over the stock suspension. And the last note before we begin is Agile requested to redo the podcast from the one that we recorded in Flagstaff during the Overland Expo during Storyteller's big 2022 features release. There was a number of reasons why, but I obliged to the request for reasons stated in the episode. And I'm glad that we did re-record because we got to know John on a more intimate level by talking about the genesis of Agile and even talking about one of his good friends and co-founder who passed away. This is a great episode that covers a lot of information to include updates about their new locker that they're R&Ding with ARB right now. So please sit back, relax, and welcome John and Elikum and the entire Agile team to the Stonation family. John and Elikum, thanks for coming on to Stonation. Before I, for, before I begin this podcast, um, I'm probably going to get some questions about why we are redoing this podcast because there are a lot of people that were watching us live over in Flagstaff. And so long story short, I agreed to do redo this podcast because you basically have some updates. And I felt like the biggest thing is that we're kind of on a time crunch because the sun was setting. And then we all know what happens when the sun goes down, the party happens. And plus, it was just a really loud background anyways. And so I want to go ahead and give you guys a second shot and talk about more in depth without having that time crunch. So, And uh, if you don't know, if you're not watching the YouTube version right now, I am sitting in Agile's shop right now. And uh, it's 
it's pretty nice. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six bays. So, and then you guys are ex expanding, which you guys, I'm sure you will talk about that. But uh, anyways, yeah. So let's just go ahead and start from the beginning, John. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> how did you guys, uh, how did Agile form? Um, so Agile was, was the founder of Agile Off-Road is a, a good friend of mine named Ramsey Elwardani. Um, he and I, we raced back in the 90s, off-road racing for years, and uh, we became like best friends. We were inseparable for a long time. And then as we grew up, we got older, um, I got married, had a kid. Um, he did this, kind of did the same. Um, we just grew apart, and he was getting remarried, and his wife loved to, wanted a van to go off-road and explore Baja. So he was out looking for vans and all the vans that he saw were Ford vans, Quigley suspension, straight axles. And he goes, I could build a better one. And if you know Ramsey, uh, he could build a better one. He was pretty, pretty persistent guy. Um, and he was at the time he was with Glenn Straduff in a shop. They were fabbing parts and racing off road and having good time. Um, one thing that Ramsey was really good at, and um, they decided, you know, they built this van, <clears throat> and then he started posting on some forums that he's building this van, and the next thing you know, it kind of blew up, and uh, he was getting all these inquiries for building these vans, and he took a Ford E350, um, 250 or 350, and put a twin traction beam Dana 50 in it. It's pretty elaborate, pretty neat, and has a ton of wheel travel, and it works really well off-road, and... Um, that's when he got into the vans and uh, it was a hobby and then it he kept on coming to, my, to me i was at the time i think i was at fox and he was saying you need to come and help me um with this business you know and i think there's something there and there's something there and uh, you know we just kept going and going and going years went by and then he finally convinced me to leave fox um and he was telling me hey there's this new sprinter out and he bought one and he and, Ran and he and Glenn had been converting this Sprinter two-wheel drive into a full drive. And they were probably about 60, 70% of the way through it um, when I came on board. And um, a gentleman that I knew and met through Fox, which was seized from, which became Rome Belt, mm. um, he showed up at our, he literally drove into our parking lot and um, he had a full drive Sprinter. And uh, that was like 2016. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cease was yeah. came right about then. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> May 31st. Yeah, and he said, "I want to do a, I want to do this, do the shocks, and, and make the suspension better." And we were like, we'd done some stuff with two wheel drives with a rip kit on a two wheel drive. In the four wheel drive, we'd pretty much had kind of slowed way way down on it. We were doing the Fords, and we were doing two wheel drive sprinters, and then. Uh, Seas came in and we modified a two-wheel drive and he gave us the van for a week and we built custom springs we built custom everything for it and we modified the two-wheel drive to work on it and what year was this 16 2016 2016 yeah. may so he was like he had one of the first vans in and then his was unique he had these big fenders on it he bought them from uh somebody over in europe and so he had these big, huge, he had pretty big tires on it stock. They were like 34s or something. And uh, it was a neat looking van. And he built it out. And then that same year, we took our two-wheel drive van with the rip kit uh, to 
Overland Expo. And I think we displayed it. We had it on display because we had a bunch of Illuminus product on it. We had it at Illuminus's booth. And they allowed us to put in like a little, little thing that showed the shock on it and cards. And then I had my Ford van in Fox's booth that year. And uh, uh, we just kind of hung out and looked around. And then C's had his van. He opened up his business, Rome built, I think that year. Oh, wow. And he just showed, he just showed up and he's like, had, and we were just like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to start selling van parts. And we're like, okay, cool. So it was, you know, kind of interesting. And, um, um, there was a lot of interest there in the sprinters those years over the years. And, you know, Ramsey had always pushed and pushed me to be like, the reason why you're coming on board is that we're going to do this. We're going to keep continue to do the Ford vans and then we'll transition into these sprinters because at that time, Ford hadn't produced sprinters since 20, or excuse me, Ford hadn't built a, a Ford E350 250 since 2014. Mm. So, and Sportsmobile was the guys. They were doing four-wheel drive Ford vans. Um, in the early years, they took Quigley's and they would modify them into four-wheel drives and then they'd do the interior. And we made it, and then we actually made a kit for the Quigley van. So we have a rip kit for a Quigley. And that, that came up after we did the TTBs, after we did the four-wheel drives, because we just, people were, were dying to get better handling vans. Um, and we were able to do that with the Fox shocks and changing out the springs, things like that. And Sportsmobile was only building V10s, 7, 7.3s, and 6 liters. They always had big vans. And if a customer brought us a two-wheel drive, it generally had a 5.4 in it, um, and we would put the twin traction beam in it. Um, but then uh, Sportsmobile was transitioning into Sprinters at that time. And so all these customers that were Sportsmobile customers that were coming to us for suspension were now coming to us for suspension for the Sprinter. Mm. And Sportsmobile wasn't doing anything. They'd be like, yeah, go see those guys. They know what they're doing. And we just started doing them. And uh, we, did, we just started doing like full builds. Um, and it was just like, it just kind of took off. And I'd say 90% of what we would work on were sportsmobiles. They'd come right down from sportsmobile. Sometimes they'd ship them. Sometimes customers would drive them down. Sometimes they'd wait a little bit. And we'd outfit them. And then other people just were doing a lot of home builds mm -hmm. at, that, at that time. Um, and then I think the next year at like Overland Expo, we met, there were more van guys showing up. Um, and um, I think Tureg. Um, John at Nomad Vans, they all became friends and they saw what we were doing and they liked what we were doing and then they started putting them on all their, on all their vans. So that's kind of like the timeline of how everything went. And then, uh, you know, other, other companies started getting into it, you know, Winnebago, um, and then obviously, um, uh, Storyteller, you know, and, um, it's just, it's kind of where it's progressed. And then over the years, we've fine tuned things. Um, and, but every customer that would come to us with something, they'd come to us with like a, an adequate problem. They'd be like, I drive this thing, I run out of gas. And I, won't, I don't want to carry a bunch of fuel. It sucks. It smells. I pour it in. Um, and I remember Jesus working with a guy. We had these fuel systems that we were buying from a guy up in L.A. <clears throat> and they were saddle tanks that went on either side of the, the Sprinter. And... Um, they were, they were fine, but a lot of times they were where the batteries were 
on a sportsmobile mm. or a gray water tank. So you can put them there, and then this guy goes, there's got to be a better way. Put one where the spares. And, not, you know, it, it wasn't that easy. You know, it's just never that easy. And over the years, we just, this guy kept pushing us and pushing us, and he worked with Jesus for a long time, and we developed a transfer system. Um, and all these were, like, things that customers wanted. They were things that customers needed. They needed better handling bands, um, better suspension, um, you know, better armor underneath, whatever it was, and then fuel, things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, was, it was cool working with everybody. Um, and then we moved over here to this shop in... Uh, 2018, February is when yeah, we moved yeah. over here. <laughs> so we were in this, like, really small shop. Like, you could see... You could see actually van owners come in and like check us out and be like, are you guys legit? Because we would, we were running out of like four bays in the end of this building and we didn't, we would not park a van outside. It wasn't like a terrible neighborhood, but the chance of a battery getting stolen out of it uh, was, it was San Diego? pretty high. Yeah, this was on, in El Cajon in Greenfield. Oh, okay, okay. It was actually called Bostonia. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it's a weird part of El Cajon. It actually has a lower tax rate than anywhere so we were like like a block away it would cost you i don't know three quarter percent more oh, wow. to if we were a block away that's yeah. crazy um and um uh, so when we you know like, like i said these people would come in and they kind of check you out and be like well here's the shop they look around they see what we're doing and they're like okay all right you guys are legit and i go and we'd say we're parking your van inside and matter of fact i would leave my van there if if we didn't have parking for a customer i'd drive the customers home Oh, wow. You know, so, um, and, but everything, were, everything worked out well. It was juggling cars all the time, picking up people at airports and leaving cars at my house uh, for weeks when they couldn't pick up their van, uh, so we had storage. Then we came here, and this has big bullpen in the back, mm -hmm. when we came onto this side. So we only had <clears throat> probably a third of this building when we moved in, which was about 5,000 feet. Oh, wow. So when we first moved here, it was just the other half over here. It's pretty shallow. And so we would pull vans in, do work on them. We had two lifts, I think. Yeah, we had two lifts. We yeah. The one uh, in the back, the one here. Um, they were sketchy. <laughs> you know, you pick up a 10,000-pound sportsmobile or Quigley or Sprinter for that fact. It was, it was sketchy. <laughs> Please, yeah. not today. <laughs> so, so a lot of the work was done on the ground, you know, which we were, we were fine with. Um, but it, <clears throat> so we'd pull vans in every, every day or we'd work on them at, you know, we'd work here a lot. You know, we'd work and we worked a lot. Yeah, you know? I can imagine. So when, well, when we you're first, working a lot now, so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we worked twice as much then. So, I mean, I, you know, at the old shop, we would work. You'd come in in the morning, you'd help customers in the morning, check them in. You had a little little office. Glenn would start work, and I'd start ordering parts, bringing in parts. And you couldn't even answer emails or phones, and then you'd just return all the calls at night, answer emails at night before you went to bed, get up in the morning, do the same thing mm -hmm. before you came in here and into the old shop, and then it started all over. Um, so... Um, Unfortunately, through all this, when the van, when the when we first came up in 2016, when we first opened, there were three of us. There was uh, Glenn working in the shop, myself, and Ramsey. So the three of you are the founders of. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ramsey's like the Ramsey's the guy that named it, and kind of, I, I would say who's the visionary um, that really kind of kind of foresaw everything. I mean, he's here's he's trying to convert a van back in, you know, 2013 to a four wheel drive Sprinter. Yeah, um, pretty forward thinking. You Where know? is he now? Oh, he's dead. Oh, shit. So, I'm sorry. So, yeah. So, he's... Remember when you guys went down and saw the memorial in San Felipe? Oh, that was his? So, that's his. Oh. Yeah. So, he was like this real creative guy. He's really... He wanted to have fun, and he did not want to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he made that clear. Like, when I came in, he's like, hey, if this doesn't work out, you can do your Jeeps, and you can do your trucks, which I was really into Jeeps and trucks at the time. And I wouldn't say that'd be easy business, but we knew there'd be business yeah. in it. He goes, if the, if the van thing doesn't happen, because you could see he was selling me on it. He's like selling me, but he really didn't know. And, um, you know, I'll never forget. It was, um, we were, he was heading to Mexico one time. And it, this was, I think, maybe a week before he passed away. And we're driving around. And we, we would, he would drive around and pick up parts. He loved doing it. He loved talking with people and getting the parts, and it was a big waste of time. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I brought in a lot of, like, let's not go and pick up parts. Let's have the drivers bring them and give them a credit card. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're driving around and picking up parts, and, and he just looks at me, and he goes, he goes, man, I had no idea. I go, what do you mean you have no idea? And he's like, I had no idea that it would be go this well. And this was probably five months, six months into the business, you know, and um, he hadn't been really there a lot. He'd, he had a place down in Toto Santos, which is down in, in Baja. <clears throat> he and his wife had just bought the place. He'd go down there. They'd fly down there and hang out. And uh, that's kind of what he wanted to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, I'll, I'll answer emails and I'll go to the forums. And back then there was forums. There was, uh, what were the forums? Sports, Sportsmobile Forum and... Like I remember seeing Sprinter Source on there because I still see a lot of yeah. Ramsey's posts what's, are still uh, yeah. revered what on the there. Other, the other one that where he got in all the well, there was Pirate Four by Four. There's some epic ones on Pirate Four by Four that he would he would make people mad. But um, I'm trying to think of the other one, there was another big one like all the Expedition vehicles, Expedition Portal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a right? part of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was he was on there a lot. And now everything's gone to more Facebook groups, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so he wanted to like be that guy and on all those and just sit in his underwear at home and in Baja. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> live the life. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, one day he left the shop. He left. I remember he left on a Friday, and um, he told Glenn, he goes, "Hey, I'm going to come by. I'm going to leave the van here. I'll come by in the morning, pick it up, and run to the airport. We're going to go to Mexico." He goes, I'm going to go to go down there for a week and um, I'm going to meet Mike. Uh, God, I'm picturing the guy. The guy's first name was Mike, but he had a Ford van. They're going to meet him in um, Scorpion Bay. So it would have been a long drive from his house to Scorpion Bay. <clears throat> and um, um, he said, hey, he goes, I'm going to be down there for a week. Uh, when we come up, let's get all this stuff done. He goes, let's, he kind of, I, I think he wanted to get, like really engage himself back in the business a little bit. And um, um, I get a call Sunday morning from his best friend. And I went, shit, he's been in an accident. Mm. Going through 
you know, I knew that I just like, I'm just going like, shit, we're gonna have to go down and get him. He's in an accident. And he just said, no, you know, Ramsey passed. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so um, he passed of a heart attack in, in Toto Santos. And uh, <clears throat> um, things changed. Um, yeah, it really changed. Um, it's okay, you can take and, a second. <laughs> so um, for me, I felt um, devastated in, you know, um, looking at it now, I thought about it more as the business, kind of like shit, you know, now we're kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. You know, this, our business, where, what are we gonna do? And not only losing your, you know, good friend. So, um, you know, um, we, uh, um, after that went about, things kind of just, we went back to normal. Um, business was kind of as, as normal because Ramsey, at originally hadn't been that involved in that those you know those those months leading up to his death, um, and um, you know I was told I was told him I go we're either going to do really really well or we're going to kill each other, you know, <laughs> and so uh, um, soon after he passed immediately I called up a friend of mine Jesus Hernandez, um, I go hey I need help, um, and, he, and Jesus had actually worked for Ramsey when Ramsey was trying to do the business he had. Um, he was working with Glenn in the shop, and he he needed somebody to come in and help him, and I recommended Jesus. So Jesus came in, helped out Ramsey, and at this time he came in and helped out me, and um, Jesus and I were great friends, good friends. Uh, we did a lot of things together. He helped me in, you know, remodel my kitchen and all kinds of stuff, and we had worked at an off-road center here in town for years, and he came from super shops, and so I go, he'd be a good fit. And uh, I go, why don't you come in? And he was looking for like, we bring him in as a partner. And so he was he was fortunate enough to uh, buy out Ramsey shares. And uh, uh, so at that point it was Jesus, Glenn, um, myself. I think we had one shop tech um, in, uh, at that time. And then when we came over here, um, just kept going along, going along, got busier and busier. Um, and then COVID hit. Oh yeah. Say no more. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, um, so we had one week where the phones went ring, emails stopped going. And then the next, the next week you couldn't, you couldn't, we, I mean, we would get people pissed off cause we, we couldn't, we, there was physically no way we could answer that many phone calls in a day. Yeah. And then emails, same thing. So we got behind. Um, now we've got a great group. Um, we've got. How many in the office now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's, I think we have 25 people, 25, make, 25 yeah, people total, total in here yeah. now. Wow. Yeah. Three and to the, 25. Yeah. And um, so there's, we got a bunch of guys answering the phone calls, um, answering the emails. I think we're caught up on all that. Mm -hmm. Right, Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't know, Jesus is standing behind the camera. <laughs> He's camera shy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing that I really like about that story is that I think people that are just coming into the Sprinter business and like, you know, buying Winnebago Revels and the Storyteller and whatever other brand, a 4x4 Sprinter out there is that they come in and they see Agile. It's a big company. It's like one of the meccas to come because I remember when I got my Storyteller, you know, I came here. It was like one of my first stops. I call it the California Mod Tour. And I got like tons of stuff 
done and uh, I was so happy. But what I didn't know, and I'm sure that other people can kind of resonate with this, is that I didn't understand the story in the background of what this company is, is founded on. And so I think what I really like about your story is that it just highlights the fact that you started from basically like a you know, two-bay garage, you busting your ass, mm-hmm. and then now you're employing 25 people. You have, you know, six bays. You got a, the other section of the building, and you're expanding, and you, you're you literally making people's dreams come true. And I think yeah. that's something that needs to be recognized, so I appreciate yeah. that no, story. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, th- I think that we grew at the we, – we, it was perfect timing for us because at the time there was hardly anybody doing it, and uh, – you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of work, you know, we enjoyed the work and, you know, when I left my last job at Fox, I was like, you know, doing well there and never thought, I figured we're going to go and hang out and build vans in the garage for, you know, build a few vans here and there and then maybe do some Jeeps here and there and do some other fun stuff. And yeah, yeah it's been great. It's almost it, like the equivalent of Steve Jobs starting in your garage. Yeah. Well, maybe not that. I mean, maybe not extent, that good. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. I'm I understand. Reaching, reaching far. But. Yeah. But we were, we were definitely pushed by clients and customers for the need for what they wanted. You know, longer range, you know, we did, we did a van for, for Greg Long, who's a big wave surfer here, and he had, a, he had like a long-range fuel tank, and he would just drive to Mexico, mm-hmm. go to drive to Mexico, and <laughs> I think we even made like, we did some funky, we also do some funky stuff at that time for people, like, he wanted a, a, a hitch mounted somewhere, so that he, on the back end or the inside of his van or something for winching a ski oh, wow. in and out of the water when he's down there. That's pretty cool. So we had some, you know... We're it's different stuff, but primarily there were anything that we were doing was kind of made sense. And we looked at it as, well, this makes sense for you. It might make sense for other people. Mm-hmm. And then let's just, you know, not so much mass produce it as like, well, let's like recreate it. And then like Jesus can't leave nothing alone. He's got to make it better and better, uh, whether it's, you know, from the hardware to the fitting. I mean, he's still working on his Nova that he bought when he was a teenager. Oh, wow. Right? You know? That's pretty cool. So... <laughs> he keeps on taking it apart and putting it back together with new parts. So a lot of stuff that we have, um, you know, Glenn and Jesus had their hands on, uh, myself, and sometimes just other shop techs. You know, they'd come in and they go, hey, this is way better if we don't have to do this all the time. So then we'd redesign a part to where it would f- would fit easier, install better. Mm, that's things awesome. like that. So, so how did um, <laughs> the relationship between you and story- Storyteller begin? Um, <coughs> So at one point, um, the guys from um, La Mesa RV were up here, um, and they they just like popped into the parking lot, and the guy looks at me, and you know we started we just started talking, and he goes, oh you're the are you the owner? And I go, yeah, I'm one of the owners here, and so we just started talking, and he goes, well we want to we think that there's a a market for this and we're like yeah no kidding right you, know, <laughs> you but, think you know but we were like okay so what's you know you know and and oftentimes dealers in the industries that we've been in you you, you kind of watch it right but they came in and we did a, a what you did, we started doing a bunch of wheel and tire packages for them and just kind of outfitting vans so that when they came there they didn't find the same van yeah. that they'd find it at, an, at another dealership and then they brought up a storyteller and we were like, oh, cool. You know, we'd never, you know, 
I think it was pretty much, what year was that? It was uh, 2020, beginning of the year. Yeah. yeah. So, and it was a, a, a white one, yeah. kind of the white. White the classic. Standard, yeah. the classic, right? Or the, so, you know, and then they brought us like one or two of them. We outfitted them. We just, originally we wanted to like take them and like, we wanted to black them out. We call them a Californiaize them, you know. Oh yeah. Because they're like from, murder them out. Yeah. Well, yeah. kind of, you know, just kind of give them a different touch. We would do that with pleasure ways. Like people with pleasure ways come in and they've got like, I'd call them the old man flares and stuff like that <laughs> you know and they just had they were rvs they looked like rvs and these you know white modes they were i mean they were they were they were neat and they had the bright stripes on them um, we didn't change any of that but we just started outfitting them and just doing simple things wheel on tires um i think in even before that we had in early 2019 glenn had made the little mini fenders i called them mini fenders at the time but now we call them no rubs um, they're the ones that, that Terror Wagon has. So okay, we, yeah, we yeah. actually made the first set. And Glenn made them out of metal. <clears throat> he would take, because we used to do that on the Ford, so we took and cut a V-shape in there and um, made them out of metal. And then we made fiberglass molds. And we sold so many of those fiberglass mini, I don't, I don't, I'm still calling them mini fenders, but these mini fenders for the 2019. And uh, that really needed to be installed. So I think we were doing fiberglass ones at that time. That was bef this was before Terror Wagon had them. So we'd been doing them for uh, a fair amount of time because literally from beginning of 2019. Um, and um, so they would bring them in here. We do all this stuff. <clears throat> and then um, the guys at um, Jeffrey and Lee I met them. Mm -hmm. I think it was just maybe like a phone call or in person. And they just kind of just started chatting and seeing what we're doing. And then they kind of <clears throat> said, hey, this is cool. Cause you know, they had these like different packages and they were like, at that point you could see like either the light was on or the light had already been on. Mm -hmm. And they were gonna create, you know, the stealth mode. Cause I mean, literally you'd put like a black emblem on these and wrap the hood and change out the wheels it's, it's a totally different looking van, yeah, you know, sure. just simple stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they went obviously further when they did the stealth. Um, and then they did the, uh, uh, the beast mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, they wanted a, a more aggressive stance with the beast and better suspension. And we kind of settled on, you know, our rip kit, uh, with the Coney shock. And I think that that was, we sent them prototypes in soon after we met them, mm -hmm. like literally soon after. And I think there were some, tuning variations on the rear shocks. Um, and that was kind of about it. And then we did the onboard air kits with them. We do our onboard air. Um, and then we still, we still sell them the mini fenders or the no rub fenders. And, um, and it's kind of where it went. So why is it that with the beast that it doesn't come with that coil in the front? But when you come here and you get the rip kit done, it comes with the coil. <coughs> mean the shock. Or shock. So, yes. so that, you know, at that time, um, the, a, a lot of what we do, I'm going to say is a little bit more technical. You don't just like unbolt a shock and you bolt it on, um, with what we're doing. And in the case of our auxiliary shock, it's not an easy install. I'm not saying they were looking for an easy way, but with definitely, I kind of pushed them to say, I don't know if you want to do this. There's a lot of overhead in this overhead, meaning extra time, um, potential for drilling into something incorrectly. Um, you know, just something that they really didn't need to mess with. And so I probably had talked them out of it more so in saying that because 
um, we were also having um, supply problems from day one from everybody. It's just gotten like terribly worse. Right. But getting shocks from uh, a large manufacturer like Fox and when they're proprietary shocks like what we have built, they take a while. We order them a year in advance, and if they don't make their dates, we're screwed. Right. So, um, so that would happen a lot. And then, you know, just them not having to go in and drill it, mount it, it became less technical work for their for their engine for their for their technicians there. That's kind of where it came from. So on a technical side, what's the big difference without having those there compared to a rip kit that does? So in the case of an of an aftermarket auxiliary shock, there's two two brands out there. There's the Van Compass and there's ours. And we sold the Van Compass for many years. Um, but w when we had found out that I mean we're you know we're old school off road guys. And by old school, we're talking before, you know, bypass shocks. And what that means is you would make the shock progressive or do its work in the location where the shock is. So as the shock's going up and down in the front of a sprinter, you want to maximize the travel that it is. And um, with the Van Compass ones, we were had like three inches of travel out of a five-inch shock. So one day we, we had a customer leave us a, a sprinter, and he goes... Um, he goes, you can do whatever you want with it. I don't care. And we took it apart. <laughs> we took the whole front end out of it. And uh, Glenn designed a shock because he was, he was a fabrication guy building race cars with Ramsey and in this little shop in El Cajon. And they, um, um, they, we maximized the travel. So we maximized it to five inches. So, and it's, it's a pain to do. It's really, really difficult. You got to move the sway bar. And it's not just like, like I said, it's just not like bolting on a shock. You know, when you bolt something on that doesn't have that much effectiveness, usually it's because it's an easier install. So, you know, Glenn is not known for making something that is like, he's like custom. You come into a shop, he build you something custom, and it would be this, you know, Ford, Ford Ranger that would have a ton of wheel travel. He probably could never duplicate it on another vehicle because he, he built it you know, off this one on via a one-off vehicle. Um, but in this case, we were able to duplicate it and we've been good ever since. But keep in mind that the strut strokes seven inches and auxiliary, our, our auxiliary shock strokes five inches. Um, Van Kampf strokes three inches. What You're, does that mean for people that don't know what that so the, means? What that means is that your ratio as the wheel's traveling, you can maximize that ratio. If you have more, more travel or more stroke in the shock, it's working harder. So in the case of an off-road car, they'd make like a, a, a suspension that would be um, a secondary, let's say it, the shock would kick in at a later time. That means the shock was like laying down and it had to really like go into a deep hole to where it would engage the second shock and make it more work on its one-to-one -one ratio. So you'd look at an old school race car to have three shocks on there. One of them's one to one or close to one to one. The other one's laid over a little bit more and its ratio uh, kicks in at a, it starts kicking in later in the, as it hits a bigger hole. And then the third shock w really needs to be in a deep, deep hole. So it's more about when you're going over the small bumps, you have less shock and this is for racing because in a van you really, you want to keep your suspension pretty tight throughout the whole 
as you're driving down a road, you really don't want a sloppy suspension. You're rolling around on the freeway and stuff yeah. like that. You get caught in the, in the crosswinds. You really don't want that type of a progressive suspension. So basically what that means is the strut maximizes the tuning um, because it's, it's, it has a better motion ratio. You know, okay. So, um, and then the, the auxiliary shock is a little helper. Okay, so going back to my original question, someone who buys a beast won't, and then go, like, I have the full rip kit on mine. If they drive the beast through the same course, and then they drive mine through the same course, are they going to tell a difference, do you think? Um, they probably would notice a, a, a slight difference, especially if they had their van, like, people become intimate with their vans, and, like, when people leave here, and they drive around, they're like, oh, this is, this is great, you know, it made a difference. But then they drive it at home where they're normally used to driving, like they're pulling into the Home Depot parking lot and they're, they want to hit it at speed, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, they're picking up their flowers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're very familiar with that bump and all of a sudden they're like, wow, I can take this like twice as fast as I used to be able to. Mm -hmm. So, but if you're in an isolated situation, side by side, they'd have to see it side by side comparison. Um, you would see a, a difference. Most people that come in with the beast um, will do like an upgrade for them. Like, you know, they'll be like, what more can I do? Well, on the front suspension, we can add the auxiliary shock in there. Mm -hmm. And they do notice an improvement. Do they? Okay. Um, but in, ret in the other way, if they didn't have a beast, if they had just a stock sprinter with uh, an auxiliary shock kit on it, you put a, a Coney or a Bilstein strut on it, they notice a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It's significant. Okay. So the other way, it's a far, like, like if you were to have your sprinter and you had stock struts with auxiliary shocks on it, and there was a, a, a beast with conies on it, the beast would, might out, will probably outperform it. But then put the Coney on your vehicle, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, right. Does that, make, does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So you get a bigger, you get bigger bang for your buck mm -hmm. with the strut. So you mentioned that you basically talked them out of putting that on the front, uh, the, I, the shock. Yeah. I don't know if I did, but well, we, I mean, we, we talked about it. Loosely <laughs> yeah. speaking, but yeah. I guess the question is, is there any plans to add that now? Now that Storyteller has been in business, they're coming out with a third year you know, that you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to talk to them. Okay. But I didn't know if you yeah. guys were talking about that. Yeah. We've talked about some suspension upgrades. Um, and as those come about, when those opportunities come up, we, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely need to know people. Yeah, for sure. So. And then, um, well, the other question that I have that we didn't get to talk about in Flagstaff and, uh, that was my fault cause I'm the host and I just did a brain dump, but the mode LT is coming out for a storyteller. So, I talked to Quigley and I've talked to some other vendors and from my understanding, you can't do a whole lot with the Ford chassis for whatever reason, but I know people are working on it. So I'm curious, what can you guys offer and what are you guys working on for the Ford chassis? So we're, we're doing basically a rip kit for it. We'll have, we should have a replacement spring. Um, we'll probably, once we get the LT in here, we'll get weights on it maybe even design a spring specifically for it unless we, we might have something already. We've already gotten in some prototypes, um, sets, and then we turned them into, okay, let's order in more. And then we started installing them and they've worked out really, really well in the Fords. So whenever you replace um, a spring, 
a complete spring in a van, especially if you're removing a spacer. So like the sprinters have spacers, and then if you're putting a lift kit on a transit, people are putting in a block. Um, if we can eliminate that block, you wanna bring the center line of the spring closer to the center line of the axle. And if you can do that, you're improving the geometry. Uh, you talk to anybody in suspension, anybody in springs, they're gonna tell you that's the way to do it. You know, blocks is, uh, is just a way of lifting a vehicle. It's a spacer commonly used. You know, Mercedes uses them, Ford uses them. Um, uh, we even use them on our, our 250 kits, but the ultimate was to replace the spring. So we'll have that for the LT, and we have a rip for the front. Uh, we'll have, we have our custom-tuned Fox shocks for the rear. Uh, we do offer some off-the-shelf Bilstein shocks and struts for them, too. So the performance that we get from the rip kit on the Mercedes, will it be equivalent on the Ford chassis? Or will it be kind of, because it's all-wheel drive, will it be kind of different? Um, I mean, that's, I would say, like, the transits that we've been doing now that are not all-wheel drive, um, they've been two-wheel drive, they're a significant improvement especially in the heavier ones. So keep in mind, a lot of transits that are being built, it uh, depends on, on how they're built out. The heavier the van, the bigger the improvement they'll see. Mm -hmm. um, we can really kind of firm, firm those up. Gotcha. You know? Okay. And what do you guys have to say about the whole debate of the Agile Rip Kit versus uh, Van Compass 4.3s? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, our... You know, there, there's enough room out there for everybody. If they have a if they have a product that people like, um, that's fine. I mean, the debate. You know, there's debates and debates, and um, all I can tell is this is what we do. This is why we do it. Um, it works. It makes sense. You know how the, how the competition's doing it. Um, you know, we definitely we keep an eye on it, but uh, we're not going to dwell on it. Right. You know, and. Uh, you know, in in the case of you know uh, a properly tuned shock, you will not need to adjust a properly tuned suspension. Um, you know, and people are like, "Well, what if I'm carrying a, a you know a, a moto on the back of my sprinter?" Or you're you're so heavy as it is, 300 extra pounds is not that big of a deal. Now, if you had uh, you know a um, a really light passenger van that had no weight in it, and then you carried a, a you know, a crap load of blocks in the back to the, you know, that you're picking up at Home Depot. Um, maybe that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. you go underneath and you dial up to stiffen up your suspension, but shocks are dampeners. They're not, they do not generate spring force. So um, replacing and getting the right tuned suspension, increasing your spring force, at, especially increasing your spring force at, at ride height. Um, make significant improvements. Gotcha. So basically, I kind of take out of that, it's like the old debate of Chevy, Chevy versus Ford kind of thing. So It could be. Yeah, you're going to have yeah. fans. I mean, they, they, you know, they have their fans. We have our fans. And, um, you know, when I was at Fox, you know, we had the same thing. What's the difference between Fox and King? And we'd be like, we have no idea. Like, we were not buying their shocks and taking them apart and go, here you go. Yeah. Here's the race wins. Here's the technology we're doing. You know, they, they may have the same. And, but we would just always just say, this is what we're doing, this is the direction we're going, you know. And so um, the direction we're going here, um, you know, Fox is, Fox is our partner. Um, we're developing, you know, we developed 2.5 shocks for sprinters 
I sent you the, I sent you a picture. I put the date on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just so you know, um, I forget when it was, it was like 2018. So John Marking, who's in the off-road hall of fame, helped design sprinter shocks for 3,500s. You know, this guy's like, you know, he's an icon in motorsports, off-road racing, mm -hmm. and he developed, he helped develop shocks for a sprinter. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, that is pretty and cool. um, you know, and and we did that 2.5 shocks long before anybody else did. I I even sent you a picture of a prototype strut. Mm -hmm. I think I put a date on it too, mm -hmm. but that we didn't. They're they're not they're not available. They're not here. But again, these were forward thinking things that we had worked with a company like Fox, and for whatever reason, they didn't pan out. They just didn't pan out. You yeah. know, uh, but more there will be more coming. You okay. know, for sure. Cool. So. And to, and to piggyback off that, I would say just from a, for people that are kind of <coughs> looking to do an apples to apples comparison, I mean, I'm a avid, you know, auto enthusiast. So I'm going to comparison and cross shop left and right is, I mean, just pay attention to what comes with each kit to kind of help you make your decision. I mean, for us, the rib kits, the, the, the kit, and it consists of shocks and springs. So you get a custom rear leaf spring, custom tuned rear shock, either getting a upgraded strut and or the auxiliary shock, and then the coil that we put on the on the front so each corner is getting a, a an upgraded spring and an upgraded shock versus you know another kit which is just going to be shocks and so like john was saying the the, sh the shocks don't do the job of the spring shocks no matter what tune or what you do to them can't generate more spring force and that's the biggest issue with these vans is you take a van you add four or five six thousand pounds to it the springs are overloaded as well as the shocks so that's why we replace both mm -hmm. That makes sense. Have you weighed your van? I'm scared to. I know. I know I'm, I know I'm over 10K. I just don't want to know if I'm pushing 11K. Yeah. We, especially people who live in them because you guys find uh, all yeah. the little cubbies and you put your little, you nest little things in there. Well, you know? <laughs> going down to Baja, um, I had a full tank, or I had just over three quarters in the auxiliary, auxiliary fuel tank. Had a full, you know, tank of diesel. I had a full tank of water and I had all my stuff and I, I could tell a difference. And, uh, it was funny because I was uh, following Paul Pritz. I think you guys know who he is mm -hmm. down there. And uh, he he would just take off and boom. And I'm just like little granny, like <laughs> barely speeding up. And I finally had to get on the radio. I was like, hey, man, can you slow can you slow up on, when you come off the line? He's like, huh? He's like, oh, you know, I had my uh, pedal box thingy on. I was like, yeah, well, I'm probably pushing like 11K back here. so. And they're not too aerodynamic either, right? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's for sure. And then I have my Pelican boxes on top, which, yeah. you know, I'm trying to go from look, 10 miles. You look account. legit, though. <laughs> it looks beefy, yeah, for sure. It looks beefy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, anyways, but yeah, no, yeah. I totally get it. But um, Elikum, I know that you had some <laughs> more stuff that you wanted to talk about other than just suspension. Yeah. So um, yeah. We're, I mean, we're constantly coming up with, with, you know, new products based on, on customer needs. So uh, I think John hit on the fuel tanks earlier. Um, you know, since this is a <laughs> storyteller specific podcast, I feel like we should talk about some of the things yeah. that we can put specifically on the storyteller fuel tank wise. I mean, we make uh, quite a few of them. I think we have four or five, maybe six of them yeah. available. Um, but specifically for the storyteller, you've got the 28 gallon, uh, fuel tank, which goes in the rear. So that replaces the, uh, goes with the spare tires mounted. So that's normally gets relocated to the door. Um, we also have the replacement fuel tank, which is a 48 gallon ACGB tank. Um, now Wait, that, what does that mean? 
Um, so instead Why is it of, so big? So yeah, instead well, that of one, that one, that one's difficult to put in the right, storyteller. Yeah, I'm yeah. um, just bring that one up because it has been asked about actually in the yeah. in the storyteller forums is 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 it possible? So instead of putting having two tanks on the vehicle, <laughs> just pull out the, the factory tank, uh. and this a replacement one is basically twice as wide, goes all the way out to the to the edge of the body. Um, there's, so, and there's a, the new one where the guys just wear in here the SMB SMB tank. What is they that have SMB? a they have a replacement tank. Um, it's a company up in. Um, oh, that's the brand. SMB. That's a brand, yeah. Okay, SMB gotcha. tank. They they're originally were SMB filters. Um, they made uh, they make a a cross a, a poly tank that's going to replace the factory tank, which is about forty seven gallons. Uh, it's pretty big. It's really long. It comes further forward and further back. It also drops down a little bit more than the factory tank. Mm. I don't foresee that being too much of a problem. Um, but uh, that, that, that replacement tank's available. We also, we've done um, transfer tanks which mount onto the passenger side. Mm -hmm. So we've done a, a, a transfer tank that will fit on the passenger side between the step and the, uh, we'll call it the frame on the passenger side. That's like about 14 gallons. Okay, so and you can do that on a storyteller? Do that on the storyteller. Oh. So, so we, you can get a 28 or 14 gallon tank. Yeah, yeah, transfer tank. Ah. Yeah, and they're roughly about the same price. Um, the 14 gallons a little bit more custom, and we do order them in as needed. Um, and um, then the uh, and then the new replacement 47 gallon uh, that yet to be fitted in a storyteller at, right now, but it looks promising. Um, and um, if not. Uh, I'm sure it can be there can be some small modifications done kind of the big thing that I'm automatically thinking about like a big long 48 gallon tank is if it's on a decline or incline all yeah. that fuel is going to be on one end or the other yeah that can't it, be that great it, it it it's yet to be seen but um it there's like internal baffles they're really just like valleys where the fuel will sit uh there could be a possibility but you'd have to be in a pretty possibly pretty good incline but the way that the pickups designed inside of the sprinter the way that it works um it that the actual sending unit in there there's like a um a sump is that what the best way to call it It'd be a sump in there that holds fuel so that if you were it's going to pick up all the way to the very end Oh, okay. But yeah, I could see where if you were maybe sitting the thing, parking on a, like a steep incline overnight, yeah. wake up in the morning. Well, I just <laughs> imagine like since it's becoming winter, all the uh, snow bunnies going up on the mountains, parking, leaving their heaters on because <clears throat> mm -hmm. a uh, heater cuts off at a quarter of a tank. So if it's on a, some type of incline, decline, it might fool the, you know, yeah. S-bar a little bit. So that that's all I'm thinking about. Just yeah off the top of my head but i'm sure you guys will figure it out mm -hmm. but to be able to have like 48 gallons in one tank that's pretty cool yeah uh so yeah, we've, we've got that the acgb the 48 gallon and the revel and like when john and i went to the the flagstaff show we drove straight from here at the shop straight to, to flagstaff didn't stop one time and could have drove most of the way back yeah. without without filling up too yeah so that that kind of range is pretty awesome well i have one more question before you move on <coughs> The water system, I know you guys do a water system. Has mm -hmm. there been any talk about doing a hybrid system, like 12 gallons diesel, 12 gallons fresh water? And mm -hmm. if if not, let's get into that. And let's, <laughs> what do I got to do to get into, to be part partner He's on right. that talk, one? Talk to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you don't want yeah. to cross-contaminate. Yeah. 
Well, if you make it separate and have two different pump systems, we'll talk offline. I yeah. have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's, how, that's how the 28-gallon tank got made. I mean, yeah. just persistence from people like, no, this is it. And then, you know, like, like for some people, they just need a little bit more water and a little bit more fuel. They don't need a lot more fuel and a lot more water. So yeah. you're right. It makes sense. Well, there's a big debate on the Facebook group is, should I get the auxiliary fuel tank or should I get water. the water yeah. and People who get the water say, I never have needed to get fuel before. And then vice versa. I know that having the fuel saved my bacon a couple times. And it was really nice going down to Baja because we, you know, you yeah. know, we went down to San Felipe. I filled that bad boy up. And then with number two diesel, because I don't know what they got going on down there. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, the versions that the VS30 and backwards can handle the diesel down in Mexico, but yeah. the new VS30s can't because of the emission system. Well, I mean, when I say can't handle it, I mean, it's not that great. Um, so for the longest time, there was no low, well, low sulfur fuel was available down to Guerrero Negro, which for people's information is halfway down. And then down in La Paz, uh, kind of up towards Guerrero Negro, which would have been towns below Guerrero Negro, they were they were getting fuel from the mainland. We I believe. What does that mean? The mainland. They were getting non-low sulfur fuel. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, but now there's Costco down there. There's there's low sulfur fuel everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. okay. So as far as I know, and we have, and and you know, you can everybody can debate all they want. We have freaking customers that go down there and buy, and they live down there with sprinters, mm -hmm. and they run fine. Okay. I do. We just had a customer ship a, one of those new recons uh, by Pleasureway down to Mexico. And he goes, yeah. There's all my neighbors have sprinters. They all oh. have brand new sprinters, and they they live in they live in uh, uh, La Paz area, mm -hmm. and uh, they just hang out at the beach. Nice, you know, living so, the life. Uh, living the life. Well, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. So, and then if in some cases, if you do like in the old days, when you know it wasn't that long ago, but you'd go down there, you couldn't buy fuel at the gas stations all the time. They would run out of fuel. And primarily that was a PMEX, which was government run. And now fuel's been opened up. So now you got Chevrons and mm -hmm. yeah. all that. So you should, you should be pretty good. Just make sure you use the, what are they, what are they, they're green now. Or no, they're green, I forget. The diesel's a different color in Mexico. Uh, the the ones that we went to in the, che the Chevron, mm -hmm. the handle was black. Yeah, but which it is was, gas up it, here. It was separate yeah. from yeah. all the other yeah, gas Yeah, they're pumps. typically in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we ran it. We met a. We, we became. I became really good friends with a guy that, in Mexico, we were fueling up, and he pumped like sixty gallons of gas into his seven three diesel, mm. and we had to pour, dump all of it out. Oh, that sounds like a and nightmare. It was a. It was a mess. Oh. Yeah, but we became friends, and we we actually went up and down the coast. So when you're down there, you get the gas. It's normally in the back of the of the station, and it's a mm -hmm. black one, and the gas is green. So opposite oh, yep. of here. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, tricky, tricky. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. Oh, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, well, speaking of that trip that you just went on, um, I know with a lot of the, there's been a lot of these Overland trips, Overland tours. Uh, I mean, obviously the storyteller community of owners is huge on those. And we've participated in a few of those themselves, but it seems like education's been a big part. Uh, of a lot of these trips lately. Um, so I, I know recovery and you, we were talking offline earlier and you were saying that, you know, with all the advancements and, you know, suspension and people just realizing how capable these vans are, they're starting to push them and take them places they wouldn't before. Um, what are some of the 
products that or, or, or parts that people are most curious about? I know like winching's a big one. Is mm-hmm. is onboard air system stuff like that? Yeah, if you want to get into like the heavy, oh, I I, lo- I use this term very loosely, but the heavy, you know, heavy overlanding, um, you know, expeditions, if for lack of better terms, uh, yeah, people are super interested in winches. Uh, first thing that I've seen trend wise is that everyone gets a suspension and then usually they put some type of tint on the window because they find out that it's a big magnifying glass going down the road, right? Suspension and tint. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then, you know, after that, it's kind of like storage solu- solutions mm-hmm. and then they kind of fill it out. And then, you know, I would say within three to six months, they'll go on a trip or two. And depending on what they do, they kind of like, oh, okay. I know this product exists and now I see a need for it yeah. and then they'll go ahead and move it. And so going off of what you're, what you're saying is that when that progression happens and they venture farther and farther and farther away from the main road, it gets a little bit more scarier. And I've been in that position myself. Um, so confidence in your equipment is paramount, I think, and your skills of driving. And so any tool that you can do, or excuse me, any tool that you can use to be able to help you get unstuck, especially if you're by yourself, I think is mandatory. So for instance, ironically, I, I did the Grand Junction, um, the Beyond Pavement uh, 2021 that Storyteller and Warner Vans did over in Grand Junction last month. And then, sure shit, I'm driving back to Denver and uh, I stopped by this reservoir uh, to let kimchi out and I was gonna take a break. And I saw this uh, small SUV stuck in the mud. So I learned from the course that they had a tow strap, but I learned from the course you wanna back up and like use your torque going forward, not backwards. So as I was backing up, I ended up getting stuck myself. I didn't have any max tracks, I didn't have anything. And so, you know, from that course, what I learned was to one is just breathe, right? And then be, think clearly and calm and then luckily I had a bunch of rocks and so what I did is I dug myself out which I didn't have a shovel by the way I didn't have anything oh. like recovery gear I had nothing so kimchi can dig <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then I gotta wash them afterwards but yeah and then uh so I dug myself out I just stuck a bunch of rocks uh underneath the rear tires and um eventually after 30 minutes uh I got out and um Sounds really mean, but I was like, see, and I was like, because <laughs> these guys were like, I mean, literally like their front fender was like up to the grill was in mud. And I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to get them out anyways. But anyways, and then, um, and even in Baja, um, we helped a gentleman who's driving a truck, you know, um, get out of the sand too. So, well, Paul did, I didn't, I just watched, but, uh. <laughs> But yeah, so to go off of what you're asking, you know, I think everyone's starting to venture out a little bit more in regards to mods and they want that recovery gear stuff. Um, And so I'm pretty sure you offer, you have one thing that I saw earlier that I really liked that I actually wanted to talk to you guys about, but I just, maybe I'll do it now. But basically you put a winch in like the factory bumper. Yeah. And then, so it, because, like, my thing is either the bumper is too small or it's too big. I'm not going to name companies, but that's my – that's what I see. So I kind of like the stock thing and still being able to have, you know, that sleek design, plus it's less weight, you know. And in my case, like, almost every ounce matters. 
Uh, and so, anyways, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we've the, what you're referring to is the hidden winch. Um, so we when did you make the first one of those, John? Because you 2017, 20 I think 2017. Yeah, late 2017. Glenn Glenn fabbed one up in the shop for a customer, and the guy would not let us. He would not pick up his sprinter until we made one, and he was like, <laughs> the, he was he ended up being the coolest guy. He was from New York, and it was a sports mobile, and he. He literally goes, no, you guys are going to make me a, I'm like, dude, I don't want to make you a, and luckily there was a company around the corner that did, uh, uh, it was an Australian company that they had one of the techs from, that used to work for ARB give us some advice. So it was mm. pretty cool, you know, but yeah, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we take the, uh, basically take that front bumper skin off. We've got a, a winch mount, a hidden winch mount bumper. It's a plate and um, all nicely welded up and fabbed and Glenn made the original design like John said. Um, but when it's installed, basically the only thing that sticks out from the vehicle is just the fair lead. You can't really see any of it. It all sits behind the grill. We've got to trim some of the plastics of the bumper. Um, and so that's been in existence from 20, since 2017. Does and that mess with the sensors? Um, yeah. Uh, no, on that 2019, you have to, you have to, uh, you, from the VS30, mm-hmm. you have to relocate the, uh, um, the uh, uh, adaptive cruise uh, sensor, and the, that's about it. Okay. We got a little box that's adjustable. There can be a little tricky to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of a, again, a technical install mm-hmm. because we have to relocate. The, tra- the cooler, the transmission cooler on the VS30, so it becomes not an easy install. Mm-hmm. And Glenn wasn't thinking about that at the time, but he, <laughs> well, actually, because it was the, it, we, we kind of modified the earlier one, which didn't have the tranny cooler, which was never a problem, but and we've, we've done a tremendous amount of them, and then we've got the new one, which, which it, we've made it easier to install, but it sticks out, so it kind of looks like a but using the stock bumper still, though. So it uses the stock bumper. Okay. What yeah. kind of winch do you guys put in that? 12,000-pound uh, worn, either the VR, uh, the VR12 or the, uh, uh, the Xenon 12. Okay. So you kind of want to run, uh, you know, you can, if you had to, you can get away with a 10, but ultimately you want to run a 12 on one of these sprinters. Right, right. So. Um, okay. Well, where does it, I don't understand how it just doesn't fall off when you try to winch yourself out. What's it attached to? So it's attached to the to the chassis in the front, uh, and then the hidden winch actually has mounts that go down, and we tie into the skid plate underneath, mm-hmm. and so it's pulling off of the the subframe underneath the engine subframe. Mm. Um, you're you're probably not going to pull it off. Uh, okay. The more concern from the winch manufacturers, like both Warren and ARB, because Warren really likes our our newest winch that we came out with. And they want to make sure that our lower plate for mounting the winch, they're more concerned about the winch itself, where it's mounted to the plate. That that bends more than the frames, believe it or not. That's according to them. Hmm. So Interesting. Yeah, which I found interesting, too. So it says that usually that's where they will bend. And you'll, you'd see that a lot on Jeeps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they build like a channel bumper and it's just like, <laughs> you know, but they look cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, it's all about looking cool. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So the, like the winch, like it comes a complete kit. So yeah, like John said, we use the skid plate that reinforces the front. It ties to both of the kind of frame horns on the front of it. Um, and then the newest product uh, that we we have now, our new winch bumper, which is called the Telluride. Um, Based out of Colorado. Yes. Nice. Uh, yeah. Inspired because John took a, took the prototype on a on a nice long trip, the two week trip between the uh, Revel Rally and uh, Overland Expo. So nice, he nice. did. Did quite a bit of exploring out there, um, but the new one simplifies the install. Now it's just kind of just 
two big cuts on the bumper and it just kind of looks like you place the winch right in there and then we've got a light bar um, that integrates with it that you can either you, or you can run the light bar separately but it's a real real sturdy mount for uh, some Baja design LP9s mm -hmm. uh, that mounts that nice frame horn there too so it gives it a ruggedized look but still fits the body lines on the sprinter so you know if you look at it at a glance you might not even notice it's it's there right that's cool so what else can you guys do this is uh, like i feel like a kid in a candy yeah. shop all over again you know <laughs> uh what else do we have uh so the big brake kit that's that's definitely been a, a big one over the last year and a half yeah. uh john worked with uh alcon uh in the uk on that one um making a sprinter specific heavy duty brake yeah. kit how many pistons does that have so six piston front, four piston rear. Okay. And it uses a. What's a stock in the rear too? Uh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Both, and then both there, wheels get two yeah. new pistons, two more pistons. Okay. Yeah. And the, um, um, it's a significant upgrade even on the VS30 chassis, and it's, yeah. um, we get we build in the, uh, the improved offset that we want, which is 16 millimeters additional offset. In it, that's built in, so you don't have to run wheel spacers. And then, you know, we bring in our studs in now from a, a OE manufacturer in Italy, um, in uh, like it, which like weird, like big companies like them, they they haven't missed a beat at all shipping us parts. It's been oh, really wow. good. So, um, and uh, but the brakes have been really good. We also have a new a new front brake only, which is primarily used with the. Uh, uh, the ones that have the electronic emergency brake in the rear, mm -hmm. which you won't, which you won't have on any of the modes. Right. So, um, but these are a iron caliper. They're designed for armored vehicles. So Alcon's a big supplier of brakes. Uh, they do military. They do um, OE. They're they're a big company, and they would not let us put a, a, an aluminum uh, caliper on this. There says no way in heck would mm. we put an aluminum caliper mm. on theirs. So. Um, they they work fantastic. Cool. Oh. Um, what else do we have? I mean, that's that's most of the parts that are kind of out there in existence now. And then I, I definitely, you know, at at uh, Overland Expo, we debuted the ARB rear air locker for the Sprinter, mm -hmm. which is the uh, that's been a couple years in development, and that's the the first locking differential yep. for the Sprinter. Um, so yeah, but John kind of take the take the yeah, lead on that. That's so been his baby. Before you start talking <laughs> or answering that question, I got some uh, questions that hopefully you can weave into the answer. The first one is why would anyone want that? Two, what kind, what difference when you overland will you get? And three, are there any negative side effects of installing something like that into the Sprinter, considering it wasn't the original part of the original design? Negative side effects and everything. Negative? 100% <laughs> positive. None of this stuff. We should be, we don't need any of this. We want it. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> true. Uh, so, um, well, like, like Elkin was saying, we have, you know, we announced it at Overland Expo, and we just did kind of like, it's really been a soft announcement. We'll have them probably in January they're doing their production run in December we should have lockers uh, here we currently have a working system in the shop van um, we've also had to work with a gear van, uh, gear supplier over in Europe um, we've got thousands of miles on two sets of gears not just one set because oh. the gears were more important uh, you know ARB would not build a locker unless we could actually get gears that worked mm -hmm. so we've uh, partnered with a company that's, uh, we've got an exclusive agreement with them for the U.S. distribution of their gears for the Sprinter. Um, we've got the 392, which is stock in the four-wheel drives. Uh, we've got a 412, 
12-ish. Because um, ideally, you need to match your gears front to rear. Mm -hmm. uh, you ha you, you want to match them front to rear. Um, even if even with the transfer case that we've got, even even Mercedes does it. So when they go, there's some factory 412 ratios out there, or 411, I forget the exact number, but it's right in that area. So we have that, and then we've also got a 430 gear available. Um, those will primarily be used in the, uh, the two-wheel drives. We've got a lot of inquiries on the two-wheel drives. So um, is it needed if you put it in, say, a two-wheel drive sprinter, you're gonna create like this little animal because that two-wheel drive sprinter, it has this traction control that's braking as you get wheel slip in a tire, you're gonna, the brake's gonna be applied. <coughs> and then most of the customers that I've talked to that have been successful at driving off-road, they, they go, you gotta kinda like drive it like you stole it. So when you, you don't let off the gas uh, mm -hmm. when it's doing that because it's trying to brake. And if you let off the gas when you flinch, kinda like, what's it doing? Mm -hmm. And then you lose momentum. Mm -hmm. They say you just kinda keep your foot down um, and keep the system working. It's applying the brake that when you apply brake with an open differential, it'll transfer the traction to the side that's, that has, has traction. Right. So when you start losing traction, it starts spinning the tire, then you apply the brake. Now, if you put a locker in there, both tires think they're going down the freeway. They don't know they're slipping. Mm -hmm. They'll never know they're slipping. You get pure traction. Mm -hmm. So literally you can take a sprinter and with the traction control on in two-wheel drive, step on the gas. And if it won't go forward, you'll burn the tires all the way. They'll dig a hole down to the ground mm -hmm. with pure traction both on, on both tires. Mm -hmm. um, and But if you drive it correctly, you'll be able to get, you'll have just perfect traction. Mm. So so you're, we're kind of, in this case, we're kind of faking out the traction control. Okay. Now, one of the drawbacks in the four-wheel drive is that there can be situations where if you lose traction in the front, now your center transfer case is gonna work like an open differential and it will not apply power to the rear. So it's gonna be tricky hmm. for people. They're not everybody's gonna, and not everybody's gonna need this, not everybody's gonna want this, but eventually they're gonna find with all the other things, the other improvements that we have coming for more traction devices that um, you know, uh, with the proper transfer case, the, proper rear locker, we're going to be able to get further into areas mm -hmm. that before you would just sit there and, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as gatekeepers. I've seen people stuck on the side of the road um, and you're literally like, what happened? You know, I got stuck, <laughs> you know, and they're literally like my Ford van would drive through it in two wheel drive with a Detroit locker in it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, it, it, you know, just because the way that the sprinters are, they, their frames are extremely stiff or their unibodies are extremely stiff versus a pickup truck where the pickup truck frame and body allows to articulate. They just don't. Mm -hmm. So they can lose traction really fast. Um, but even our TTBs, like it was, it was real popular for people to come in. We would put in ARB lockers in the rear all the time, even with four-wheel drives. Mm -hmm. And then we had a 50-50 transfer case. So we had a real transfer case on our Fords and it still put lockers in them. And these people, they're not doing the Rubicon Trail, but you could just, you could just drive that thing mm -hmm. places that were cool. Yeah. You know, get, um, get off the beaten path. Yeah, and I think for like, if so, because I just started really learning a lot more about this, especially with our partnership with ARB on the locker, when it's needed, how it works. So for someone who has no idea what it is or why they would need it, basically an open differential, you've, you've, 
kind of got three on the sprinter or in the rear you've got one in the center and then in the, in the front and so what happens is anytime that a wheel let's say gets lifted or loses traction the drivetrain sends power to the wheel with least resistance which would be the wheel that's spinning and that's not what you want you want to send it to the wheels that have resistance that are on the ground so by adding a locker to the rear now you eliminate the the ability for one wheel to start spinning faster than the other in the back so if you're on something loose or trying to climb something it keeps the power and then now what we're finding out is or what that we found out is how that relationship works as far as sending power front to rear so now if you have both rear wheels are stuck or in, by stuck i mean planted um and one of the front wheels gets lifted or something like that is the sprinter going to send the power to the rear wheels which are locked or does it spend them to the front wheel which might be sitting in the air and then you're still not having the momentum to be able to climb out of what you're doing mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the, the rear locker eliminates that side to side spinning in the rear. And then kind of some of the stuff we're working on moving forward will address some of the other situations that might cause you to get stuck. Right. So how far are you how far out are you from actually starting to install these? When's, when's it come out of beta? So we have appointments set up for February, uh, I believe we should have everything here. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a, a cool diff cover. Um, to replace a diff cover so that you won't have to put on a heavier skid plate too because you know uh, a lot of people are just damaging the, the the tin plate that's on there the rear the rear axle is pretty robust we'll have a nice diff cover we'll have the arb we'll have the locker um excuse me we'll have the arb locker we'll have the gear sets we'll have all the bearings all the bearings will be the same bearings that's being used by mercedes mm -hmm. this part is made for a mercedes it's not uh it's not something that we just adapted to it. Hmm. You know, we worked with, with ARB for a long, long time. Um, we shipped them parts, they shipped us parts. Um, and uh, we had, we'd take measurements here on a rear axle that I uh, was acquired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, no. And uh, cause like, if you, if you, if you tear up a ring and pinion in a sprinter, which is how this one, how we got this one, Mercedes replaces the whole rear axle. Like there's no information out there to what you torque things to. It's mm -hmm. just like, why would we need to know? We're replacing the whole axle and it's $6,000 wow. for a rear axle. So don't break your rear axle. Yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> yeah. Expensive. You know? uh... So, but you know, Airb is a top, top notch company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're proven off-road and racing, king of the hammers. Um, they make a legitimate, uh, they went away from a three-piece unit. They're now running, they've been running their two-piece billet housing forever. Um, originally, they had a three-piece unit way back in the day, and they broke like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, they, they, they've been around. So it's not like we're, they, they're not making something new. This is just another application for them. So it's not something that they don't do. Right. It's just a fitment, you yeah. know. So it's, it's, it's been great working with them. Um, and, um, like I said, like Elkham said, we'll have, we'll have more. Um, yeah, you mentioned downsides, you know, there's a downside to anything. Um, anytime somebody goes in and takes up, takes something apart, uh, you're requiring, a, it's going to be a very technical install. So it's going to require training. It, it's for a gear guy. It's not rocket science. It's nothing new. Um, it's just, yeah, and you could have that right now. There's guys with Jeeps They go out and they buy brand new Jeeps and they change out the gears. It's, it's pretty common. Yeah. You know, in, yeah, I used to have a Jeep, so I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So it's, this isn't something new. It's just, 
you know, it's, it might be scary for some people, but if you had a Jeep and you put big tires on it, you changed your gears. It was pretty, pretty common. Yeah. You kind of had to. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, if in this case, we're not able to change the gear ratios. Um, if, if we decide to work on the front gear ratios, which they, they've offered to do, um, that might be something, but more than likely just a, a better transfer case with lower range because mm -hmm. the low range in the sprinter is one, 1. 1.4. That's like nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you want like a three to one. Yeah. So once you get into a three to one ratio, it'll, it'll climb like a goat and, uh, uh, with traction, yeah. it'll be, it'll be great. So I've made a couple of predictions. They, none of them have come out to actually <coughs> fruition, but I'm going to make a prediction right now. So when I had Kate and, uh, um, Joe Russo on the podcast, I thought they were making the Russo edition beast or Russo edition storyteller. I was wrong, but it's beside the point. So I'm going to make a prediction, and I'm going to say there's going to be a storyteller ultimate beast <laughs> with that comes with a diff locker. <laughs> Could be. Pre-installed. Could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you heard it here first. <laughs> we'll just have to see how the new all-wheel drive sprinter is, right? Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> let's not even talk about that. Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast, to be honest. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so... Um, I think we covered just about everything. Um, I have uh, a couple more questions. Um, Elkin, we really, so I'm curious, you're the marketing manager for Agile. Mm -hmm. So what's your background? How did you do it? And then my last question for you, I know that's a series of questions, but the last one is what, since you've been working here, what's the biggest thing that you've learned? Uh, okay, so yeah, let's let's start. Uh, I started with Agile, I think twenty sixteen or tw I think it was twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah, unofficially. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was. Uh, I was working at a marketing agency in San Diego. Uh, I moved here from Detroit, so Detroit's the Motor City. So everybody's in the cars. Everybody's dad, grandpa has a race car in their garage. So that's just all I grew up around. Were a lot of street cars, muscle cars, things like that. Um, Moved to San Diego. I uh, started working at a digital agency. That's kind of something I did as a hobby throughout college, working with small businesses, working on their marketing, social media, websites. Um, so that's kind of what I fell into career-wise. Um, but I just didn't like the customers I was working with, the clients I was working with at the agency. So quit one day. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> then I was like, what do I do now? Uh, so I met John through... Uh, another uh, client of mine, which is a mountain bike shop, um, and I wanted to work there full time. And the guy said, "Hey, I can't have you full time, but I know another guy that needs a website that's kind of in the same industry." And that's how I met John. Um, and so I started working with Agile, um, freelancing, working on their website here and there, and kind of building out the e-commerce store. And then I think two years ago, I came on full time uh, officially, um, and just been kind of growing uh, with them since there. Um, He's, he'll work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's still here. So. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, as, as far as like some of the things that have been really most impressive, even with kind of this automotive background, I didn't realize how easy and how hard it was to make something. Like to watch Glenn, Jesus, John just kind of get together and like come up with something like the winch plate where, you know, seeing them with, you know, cut up pieces of manila folder and taping stuff together and then seeing it become a tack welded piece of metal that they're cutting out on the plasma cutter in the back and then that eventually becoming a, a full-fledged you know man you know not mass-produced but a pretty frequently manufactured part um 
they can do it and it make they make it look really really easy but then you also see the the back end side of it when it's source of materials and the actual engineering behind it and testing it and stuff like that so that's been kind of the the most eye-opening and impressive thing about working here and then um yeah i mean these guys really really do it so i mean they've got tons of knowledge to pass on um whether you're an overlander consumer or you know someone like me that's you know an employee and wants to learn more about the business and just the back end of how things get done they've been really really great teachers of, of all of that so and it's a really cool place to work so yeah cool we're, tr we're trying to retain people you know we've got we've got um benefits now um we've got <laughs> 401k um we do incentives for the guys. Um, nobody's on commission. They're not. We're not forcing anybody to do anything. But you know, it's it's been tough. And with COVID, uh, it's hard finding people. And then once you find somebody and you train them, you we want to retain them. Mm -hmm. You know. So yeah, uh, we're gonna have a great Christmas party this year. Thank goodness. Am I invited? So, uh, if you want. I'm just joking. You can. No, I'm just we joking. have the, we have the whole restaurant. It's a small place, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to come. I'll. Crash party, trust me. That'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're officially invited. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, having a good employee uh, atmosphere is and climate is super important for retention. I was talking with someone else. I won't name names, but essentially, it's really hard to find qualified people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's so weird, but. <clears throat> and we and we you know we're 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 good at training. People think they come here and they think like, oh, I can do this, and then they come here and they're like, wow, I. I didn't know that I thought I was I thought I knew a lot and then they find like some of the basic stuff that we're doing it's a lot more technical than they thought yeah you know so in there but our dealers like the dealers that we have we've got great dealers across the country you know we've got guys on the east coast a lot of dealers up in Colorado Pacific Northwest and you can tell the guys that are just crushing it they're the guys that get it they you could see that they some of the guys I tell them I go you remind me of me when you were like you work so freaking hard like, you know, they work harder than I do today. Mm -hmm. And I picture myself like when I was doing it. Yeah. You can see they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, you know, they're passionate about kind of the whole deal, too. Yeah. You know? So it's what it takes to be in this business. Yeah. 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 So I have three questions for you, John. The first one is um, where do you see Agile in five years? Answer them as you go. What's that? Answer them as you go. Oh. <laughs> um, we'll be, I think that we'll have, uh, in five years, we'll probably have the shop here doing installs and innovating and building parts. And then we'll have, a, you know, more of a wholesale distribution. Um, and, uh, you know, dealers around, we, we support our dealers. Like, we, you know, we're not... We're not interested in opening up shops in 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 our in dealers' backyards. We want to we want to grow dealers in, in areas where they know and where they live and uh, help help them to succeed. Mm -hmm. So um, getting maybe a little bit more in design. We're working really well with a lot of the a lot of the the vendor the suppliers out there the the main companies. You know, there's companies that are coming to us for like, you know, why are you doing this? What are you doing? And you know, potentially, we could even help them develop parts. That'd be cool. So it, it would be neat, you know, when you you have somebody come in and, you know, I, I saw this at, I saw this at at Fox. It's a huge company, but they can do certain so cool things if you left certain people alone. Mm. And you don't see that in big companies. And as all these companies are getting swallowed up, they need people to innovate. So continuing to innovate, um, 
run with scissors, so to speak, you mm -hmm. know, in your hands and try things that nobody else would do. You know, I think we've kind of proven that on certain areas um, and become successful and help people with with solving their solving their issues, you know, helping them with their problems. Most people, people don't, you know, a lot of people come here for suspension, but so many people come here with just overweight, heavy vans. Mm -hmm. And when we solve that for them, they love their van even more. Yeah. You know, they do. Uh, yeah, I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you spend a lot of money on these things and then you drive it and you're like, gosh, I, I, now I gotta drive it? <laughs> I just wanna live in it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So my uh, second to last question is, since you're one of the founders and uh, after hearing your story of losing, you know, basically one of your best friends and growing and expanding and hearing what you guys want to do in the next five years, my question is, what's the number one thing that you've learned about yourself? Hmm. Um, hmm. I've if I, I want to be, I, and I need to work at it better, but I've become more patient. Mm -hmm. I've been a very, I've been a very impatient person. I tell somebody to do something, fucking do it now. Mm -hmm. I don't, like, like I may tell them, yeah, it's no big rush, but get this done. I come back, I'll check them in five minutes, <laughs> right? You know, like, really? Right. <laughs> you know, and so uh, I, I think that my patience, um, patience with, you know, sometimes with suppliers too. You know, just work with them, not pushing them too hard, letting them know that we're part of a team. You know, we're going to succeed together, whether it's an employee, a friend, um, family, all that. You know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm no, I'm not perfect, yeah, but um, yeah, I think that I could do better at it. But I think that I become more patient. And and now the crew here, I can leave. I come back. I still have my problems that I have to deal with. You know, in the, my emails and all that stuff, and I keep that stuff aside. And, uh, but I know that the team here is, you know, they're, they're, they're running the show where before I felt like, oh, fuck, I can't go, mm -hmm. you know, toilet paper is not going to get changed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, it's like, it's a good feeling now, like, yeah. you know, so building that up, um, you know, I'm 58. So I'm in, the more I go out in the, in my sprinter, I, I enjoy it. You know, I, want, I, I mean, I'm so jealous of all these customers that come in. You know, they're like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm working from there. I'm, I'm a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, really? <laughs> you know? So, you know, I, that's, that's where I see me. I don't know about Agile, but I'd, <laughs> I'd love to be just, well, you know. Well, it was a personal question, yeah. so. Yeah. 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 No, being patient. Yeah. That's a good lesson. Uh, you're actually not the first person who's answered patients too, so especially in COVID times. Um, <coughs> so my last question, and you, this is directed to you too as well, Elkin. But what does it mean for you guys to be part of the Stone Nation family? Uh, for me, I love it. I mean, uh, not, you know, not that I'm 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 not a social media guy, so I'm not. Matter of fact, I've kind of checked out on a lot of that stuff, but. I enjoy the customers. I enjoy the the like-mindedness. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we went out on a on, on one of these runs where they take all these sprinters out, and there was like 45 vehicles. I don't think I took one picture. Maybe I think I took one or two pictures, right? And I'm not. I'm just like hanging out. 
you know, talking with people. Mm -hmm. They know me, so that sometimes, sometimes business, you know, they want to talk business, which is cool. But other than that, I want to hear about, like, where are we going next? You know? Mm -hmm. So that, that I love. And there's, like, I see a lot of storytellers out there being used, you know? And uh, we see a lot of them come in here in the shop, but they pretty much, like, how soon can I get it back? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, you know, it's, it's not a project. This is my... This is my deal. Mm -hmm. so. uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I think that's that's the main part of it, is that the storyteller owner base, uh, the Stone Nation, seems really cool. They're really active. Um, a lot more like-minded to myself. I'm only 30, um, and I'm kind of just getting into this kind of overlanding and, and just kind of off-road world. And one, the community is super welcoming. And like John said, I mean, a lot of the same interests. If you're, you want to go hang out, you want to camp, you want a mountain bike, checking out really cool places, getting really off grid or some of the things that I'm really starting to resonate with that storyteller group. And then from the marketing perspective, um, I mean, you guys are really fun to engage with online. Um, you're active, you're communicative, the people that have met at storyteller, um, the company have been really, really cool to work with as well too. So just really good vibes from everybody I've come across all around. Awesome. Well, thank you gentlemen for your time because you. I know we're after hours right now. So, but, yeah, it's uh, it's, I'm glad that we uh, redid it. I think we touched on some good stuff, to be yeah. honest. And uh, But yeah. And oh, I the whole reason why I'm here is because I got the steel braided lines for the <laughs> ARP compressor. That's right. We forgot one thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyways, I'll make another short video on that so we don't have to, you know, yeah. recap on cool. that. But uh, yeah. No, uh, you guys are doing great stuff. And I know the community loves you guys. And, uh, you know. Keep doing what you're doing. As Joe Dirt said, keep on keeping on. Cool. <laughs> Stone Nation is a production of Park Media. The executive producer is Young Wa Kim. The audio engineer is Steven Grasso. The marketing director is Guillaume Golson. The original music and artists is done by Jason Walsmith. The sound designer is Lorenzo Interiano. And the webmaster is Peng Shu. Without any of these people, this podcast couldn't happen. So a big, huge thank you. And a big, huge thank you to you, the listener. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. This is Young Wah with Stone Nation, and I can't wait to share the road with you.